Commandments of Editors. Commandment 1. Shut the fuck up and get out of the edit suite. <laughs> Commandment 2. Just make something cool. <laughs> Commandment 3. I don't know, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sizzle Reel Podcast. I'm Alexi. I'm Chris. And we are back at it again. I don't know which episode this is, but we're going to stop keeping track of them by number. It's been like two weeks since we last recorded. It's been like a month. It's, it's been, been a like, while. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while, but it's been a while because we've we've been busy. I mean, it's been a good while, you know? It means we've had work. It means that the projects have taken us through the evenings. We've, we... been, we've been working on a project that has a lot of Zoom recording on it. It was literally all Zoom interviews. Oh, and, my God. Uh, Chris had the uh, splendid time cutting that, I'm sure. You know, I think that's that's a case of expectations where for me, my expectation going into it was very different. It was initially described to me as an interior design show and it ended up being a product <laughs> placement show yeah it was it was supposed to be interior design but uh you know things change and uh it ended up being zoom interviews and then a sponsored app so it <laughs> you know is is some would call it maybe a waste of 6 weeks i would call it a 6 week course in zoom editing you know, I, I think we, we, we all learned a lot and none of us were happy with the final product. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think, That's probably an understatement. <laughs> I think the expectation, even even for the brand going into it, I don't think they realized. So we ended up having to do the whole thing remotely. So there weren't really crews shooting things and it changed the expectations of the entire and product, and I think that was kind of something that we realized week by week by week that it's yeah. not going to get better because when when it's not shot right, when when you when you're working with shitty footage, it's going to look shitty. Yeah, we, that's facts. We that's can't facts. bring those details back; they just don't exist anymore. But also, like, it's not like we had someone who knew how to use a camera shooting any of the B-roll. It was the subjects of these interviews were told, "Okay, cool, now go capture B-roll of this." So it's like them on their iPhones shooting stuff. It is what it is. I mean, we worked with what we had for for what it's worth. I think we made something at least watchable. Right. But like it, it's just something that's not going to hit unless like it's not going to appeal to you unless you're the brand that bought it. And then you can go, wow, maybe this is a justified spend. But it wasn't like a great series or anything, whatever. I mean, that's that happened. That was that. That was our September, August. That was our August. That wasn't our September. That was our August. But you know, it is what it is. Today, guys, we want to talk about a little thing. Uh, identity in the edit suite is how we have it written down. This was an article, Chris, that you found, I think, right? Yeah. So I found this through a, a frame blog that linked to a Medium article that describes the four types of video editors you will meet. Yeah. Four types of video editors. This guy basically posits, I guess, that uh, video editors can be broken down into four archetypes. Uh, one of them is the musician. The other, uh, next one is the technician. Then there's the painter and the storyteller. Um, right off the bat, I mean, I can, those are all really self-explanatory to me. I think that I a hundred percent am the musician. Like I come at editing from a musical place. That's like the first thing I do when I get 
any project is do the audio cut. Like if I'm telling a story, I make sure the interview flows right and that the gaps are there and that everything's right. If it's a demo reel, I make sure that all the music is good and it doesn't get boring. You know, I make and, and that really to me is is the key. That's the heart of the piece for me. You know, I, I would rank them. I'm the technician, then the storyteller, then the painter, then the musician. We, the musician is my weakest spot. And a, a big reason for that is because in a, in a V1, when I'm sending it off to the client, I know that a lot of edits are going to come back that are going to throw my my music cut off so much. And I'm not, I wouldn't say I, I can't recover from it, but like my I. I'm not as good at editing the audio to meet the client's notes in that way. If it's just a project for me and I can I can lay the music out and and edit exactly to that and I'm the only person who has notes for it, then it's fine. But if someone else comes in and it's too long or you know they have very specific requirements, then I, I, you know, I just kind of give up at a certain point because it's like, all right, this is what you want. It's not, it's not art as much anymore as it is a product. Yeah, that's true. I, th but I think when notes come back on music, like those, those notes, uh, they can go one of two ways, right? They can either be some of the easier notes to address or they can be just mind numbingly difficult and annoying where I think all that comes down to is if the producer or the client knows how to talk about music and can describe what they want accurately, sometimes they'll just be like, um, I don't know. I just want it to have a little bit more energy. And you're like, dude, it's already like 135 beats per minute. Like it's, it's a pretty fast song. And they're like, I don't know. It just, it needs to be like more, they're like more bass. And you're like, what do you mean more bass? You listen to this shit on your phone. You just watch it on your phone. Of course there's no bass. You know what I'm saying? But that, that kind of stuff is like, you have to guess. And, and that at that point, there's been times I think when I've been like, okay, I'm just going to send you four music tracks. You pick a music track that you like, and we'll start there because I can't, it's useless for me to try to guess. You know what I mean? But the flip side is when the client knows music, they can be like, Oh, uh, give me something that's in like a major key something that's not so minor, not so down. Like, give me something more major so we can be like, it can be a happier tune. You're like, okay, cool. And I think another part is knowing what keys associate with what emotion, right? So like, if you want, if they say they want some, if it's happy and like upbeat, you're mostly going to look for like C major, G major, um, shit, maybe F major. I don't really know. I don't know that much about music, but you know, those are the, the no, A major even. You might, might go for A. A is probably maybe a little bit more, relaxing or something like that. But generally speaking, like I, I found that in the last project we did that, let's say the Blue Apron one, I found stuff in C major and that worked really well for what they wanted to get the point across of, you know, the dishes for like to cook with children and shit like that. See, I can't even speak intelligently about music like that. I literally go on to whatever music da database we're using for that client. And I, I search for different genres. I search for moods. I, I search for characteristics, but I'm not searching for, for keys because I just don't know them. I just, I hear the song and I kind of just decide if this is going to work, if this is the kind of feel that I think they want. And if it, if the song has, you know, the, the ups and downs and, and the spots where I can cut and, and kind of tell a story with the song, like it, it's yeah. gotta, it's gotta have changes. It can't just be the yes. same. It can't be like throughout. a loop or some shit. Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. I feel the same way. Like, and, and that's really like, that's my actually sort of 
outlook when I'm cutting any sort of sizzle reels or uh, or like quick spots or anything is I always when I pull up the waveform for the music, I, I always go right to I'd guess for lack of a better term, the drops where like, you know, you can exactly. you can clearly tell the music's changing. It's like, cool. What are the cool things that happen here? What are all those cool changes? Let's try to put them together. Right. And then if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know. Um, I, in, in this article from this guy, let's, let's name drop him. His name is Damien Dayton. This is an article from 2016 on medium. You'll, you can find it in the uh, little show notes there, but he says that, uh, the musician likes to edit music videos, do spot work, montages, uh, demo reels. Uh, they got good speed and they like editing teasers and sometimes trailers. I think that all applies literally to what I do. I mean, that is, that's my, that's my shit. Like I like it. I don't like when things are too long form and stuff. I like making quick stuff. Um, that's just, that's just my entire vibe. You know, he has a sentence in here that says, I almost want to call the montage. I, I almost want to call this the montage editor because that is where they shine. And for me, even though I would, you know, I, the musician is the weakest archetype for me. I feel like I'm really good at the montage editing. It's just, it's more of a, if I'm given a song or, or, or a music bed to cut to, I can do that very well. I'm just not as good at creating the bed itself. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Like it, there's something about editing, editing where of course you need to cooperate video with, with the sound and that comes supernaturally. It's just creating the sound is difficult. One of my favorite workflows is where like I will do the initial cut of all of the music and get everything like kind of like in a place where I can can explain what the story is going to be and then maybe use like some placeholder text just to explain what's going to go there, then hand that off and then go, OK, someone else cut this B-roll into the beat because I don't feel like doing that part. I like cutting the music. That's my favorite part. And then like, for example, when I do any sort of a trailer or teaser work or any sort of montage real work, what I'll do is do the music first, then I'll do the audio cut of any sound bites I want in there. Then I'll like f at the very, very end, fill in the B-roll. Like I just hate cutting B-roll. It's so annoying. <laughs> and I know that's like literally the job, right? Yes. But I just, I don't, I don't like doing it. Like I'd rather do all the, the odd, the storytelling and the, and the music. So I guess storyteller is probably my, my second one. That's the one that I would probably lean to for, you know, secondly. Um, and now my boy Damian Dayton, who wrote this piece, he kind of trailed off here at the end. So his strengths and weaknesses that he wrote for the storyteller aren't aren't great. But I think it explains itself. Right. You're the one kind of determining the beginning and the end of the piece, the beginning, middle and end of the piece. You're trying to figure out the proper way to make it flow. You're, you're supposed to be telling a clear story. And I guess, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways to tell a clear story as an editor. And, and you can tell it through music if you want, but sometimes you're just telling it through straight VO or you're telling it strictly through the pictures and you yeah. don't, you don't even need sound underneath what you're showing to tell the story. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the, the pictures will play out in a way where you, you understand what's, yeah. what's being told. Yeah. Chris is so much of a storyteller and so little of the musician that a lot of his edits, he refuses to use audio. Yeah, He's yeah. He's editing I, silent pictures. It's insane. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just I feel like if, if you can if you can make people interested without yep. hearing anything, like you know, the deaf community it's loves true. my edits, and and they're all black and white too. So it's it's a really it's a throwback. They're Charlie Chaplin esque. A lot of people would say it's 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 very cool. Um, a lot of clients have problems with it, but 
you know, you should see Chris in the room. He, he can talk those clients into it. You know, he's like, this is actually like a vintage ass edit. So you're getting like some old school <laughs> shit right here. You know? Well, you know, anytime that I feel like my, my story isn't being told properly, I'll just put a little title frame in the middle that tells exactly what the story is and that there everyone understands. Let's just get on the same page here, guys. Like, you know, this uh, this mime got chased by a tiger. We all know that. That's This train is driving right at the screen. Like that's Chris's style. Nineteen twenties. You see a movie from nineteen twenties? That's how Chris edits, baby. That, that's an efficient <laughs> edit, though, because it tells you exactly what you're supposed to think. That that's the point of it, right? Yeah. No, but real talk. I think this storyteller archetype is like, it's a little bit. You know, come on, it's a little bit hokey. Storyteller, I hate that shit. When you go on like an ad agency's website and they're like, we're storytellers. No shit, dude. We're, we're all, all storytellers. storytellers. Yeah, exactly. That's the job. Yeah, so I, I think that that's, it's a little bit of a hokey premise, right? Calling yourself a storyteller, you know? But uh, I, I guess it's, it's, it's like there's no need to say that because it goes without saying, right? You know, I, I do agree with that, but I... Maybe it's just because I'm not I'm not strong at the other things that, that I'm I'm a, I'm gonna attach myself to the storyteller a little bit. I don't know, man. I think you are strong at the other things. I think you're strong at the technician. I think that's like your go-to. You know what I mean? Because you like actually know the 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 tech behind stuff. You know what I mean? Like you can can talk about software or talk about hardware or talk about like the actual digital information or whatever that goes into stuff, right? Like that's, that's where I think a lot of your strength is. So I, I think that stuff really ultimately doesn't help me a lot in, in the edit. Like it's good to know. And I'm, it's just, I'm interested in it. So I like to learn about it, but ultimately for being the technician, the part that is useful to me is understanding the programs, not, not necessarily why they work, just what they do and and how they work because if you can be fast if you can know the ins and outs of, of the the program then that can kind of cover some of your weaknesses like i use my the technician part of me to tell the stories like that's how i do it is i just go in very formulaically i go in i, I take my selects i arrange them in in little bites and then i just play around with them until they tell the story that i want and i can tell that story quickly because i know the program well mm. i wonder how much of this how i wonder how much of these uh, archetypes this dude like just made up because again no shade damian dayton but i wonder how many of these archetypes this dude came up with like just based on people he'd worked with you know what i mean he was probably like oh man this one person I work with, they're a technician. This and that's where he wrote this whole like dissertation on them. You know what I mean? He was because he does he picks like these like weird ass points for weaknesses for the technician. He said making eye contact. It's like, all right, well, you you probably just worked with someone who like was awkward around you because maybe they didn't like being around you or some shit. So they don't you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, or or maybe you I mean he talks about how technicians make the best assistant editors. My guess is he was probably dealing with an assistant editor who was very new to the industry mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit more shy but knew the program well and just yeah. did shit pretty quickly and yeah. you know he, he was like, oh that's a whole archetype. Well yeah. I mean kind of maybe, maybe he like fit into that archetype or whatever and then you know, you, you grow from there. Ultimately, I think everyone has a bit of everything, right? But like, 
I, I guess like that's kind of what he's saying too, is that the majority of people, like people have a majority of one of these. You fall into one of these. Who knows? All I know is that neither of us are the painter. The painter, I fucking hate color grading. I hate doing all that shit. Like I just don't care about doing that. I just, I just don't care. Like I don't, I don't like painting. I don't like, like the visual side of it is nice and I can respect it and appreciate it. But the way I look at it is like, that's probably my least favorite thing to get notes on. If I get notes on that shit, I'm just like, dude, I have no idea. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I guess I'll try it again. That's my thing that I'll probably hire someone else for. I think, yeah, getting notes for something like that for, for like color, that's so difficult because it's, there is an objective color that is true, but also most people are not, they're receiving it in a subjective way. So it's, it's super difficult to color correct according to those notes. Like they're viewing it on a, a different screen, a different monitor than whatever, you know, Rec 709 would be. It's not some $20,000 reference monitor. It's, it's an iPhone. It, it's a Mac. Mm-hmm. And, and those like, how, how, how do you adjust for all the different screens in the world that are, that people are going to see? They see one thing, but that doesn't mean that's the true color they're seeing. Yeah. I, I think that it's like, that sort of thing is really what just turns me off from it. It's like where I just don't care. I'm just like, I'm just going to correct to this to make it look true or as true as I can. But when it comes to grading and stuff, it's like, dude, I, I don't, I don't want to spend a bunch of time like tweaking a bunch of like random, you know, knobs and, and like making power masks and stuff to try to like make shit look a certain way. It's just, it just, it bores me, man. It bores me. I hate to be that guy, but it just does. You know, I, I really like, I mean, I enjoy coloring things just to, to do it. I, I hate doing it for a client though. And it, there was that episode of game of Thrones in, in the last, the final season where everyone said it was too dark. And I don't know if it was the director or the colorist, whoever it was, cinematographer, they were basically like, no, it's not too dark. Your TVs just suck. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the attitude though you have to have yeah, as, yeah. as an editor. Cause you're, you're working with what's true versus what people are seeing. I just, I just can't, I just can't do it, man. Like if someone was like, Hey, you can sit around all day in the edit suite and you just can do color. So you can like listen to music and podcasts and stuff and just do color all day. I'd be like, hell no. Like I love podcasts and and, and that's great and all, but dude, I am not trying to spend all day looking at freaking color wheels and shit. Like, no, it's, it's too much, man. It's, it's a lot. Like it's too quiet. I don't know. I want to, I want some energy in my life. You know, I want some energy. I want to go to like a meeting every so often or like have a phone call. Right. I don't want to just like be sitting around like moving a color bar and looking at scopes and shit. I don't know what this, I don't know what a scope is, you know? I'm yeah. Not a scope guy. Yeah. I think for me, maybe I would just get, I, I could do it for a little bit of my day at a time. I can't imagine an eight or 10 hour day going, going through all those different scenes and just one by one like not only like color grading each scene but matching between scenes i have no like i don't even know where to start with that you ever seen that shit that they have where they have like all those little nodes and like those maps where like there's like a node and a line going off of it to another node and then they all go to all these different shit i look at that i'm like this is wizardry this is witchcraft like what are you doing man like i just apply a preset and move on like i don't know but hey no offense to any of y'all out there who are colorists. That's I love you guys because you do it, so I don't have to do it. Like I would prefer to just uh, 
turn shit around. You know what I mean? I just want to cut it, make it cool, make it quick, turn it around, get it out the door. That's my vibe. I don't want to, if I'm spending more than like two or three weeks on a project, I am like, I'm over it. All Super right. Restless. Next, yeah. next, next. You know what I'm saying? There's definitely diminishing returns as, as in, in post on, on yeah. any project you do. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's also just because of the style of stuff we work on. I'm sure if like there was a feature film that came through the door, like maybe it would be a little different, but at the end of the day, like it's, yeah, I get, I get bored quick, man. Like if it's over it, man, honestly, if it's over like five or six minutes, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want to watch the shit again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and longer stuff like that too. I think it, it becomes so much more difficult to, to quality control just cause you, you don't want to watch. You don't have the time one to watch a 10 minute thing over and over and over for every small edit you do. And two, for something big like that, you make, you make one little edit and it, it can ripple throughout the whole it's like, it's like, it's like the zoom thing that you were doing, dude, like that thing, you know, we got to what version 19 or 20 on some of those. And like, yeah. those are, those are 12 minute pieces. You get to version 20 of that. Like you have to QC every single one of those. You've already watched their shitload cause you're editing it. So like on top of that, QCing every single one, like you're gonna miss stuff, you, you, you know, you, you will. will like your brain is just going to fill in the gaps for you. So you're going to end up missing stuff. And that part of it sucks when you miss something and you send it to the client and like, yeah, maybe it's just one thing, right? Maybe it's one or two small things. But when you're on version 19 and the client is like, hey, there's no lower third here. You're like, oh, motherfucker. Like, that's a real yeah. basic thing. Yeah. And I feel like an idiot because I missed that. But also I'm on version 20. Yeah. And like I, 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 you know, I, I should have caught it, but I didn't, uh, but it's cause it's overwhelming a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some, you get to version 20 and, and no one else noticed the, the lower third missing until just now, but also, I mean, yeah, it makes you, it makes you look a little bit less professional, yep. I guess, because you yep. miss things, but like that is, I mean, that's kind of why we go through multiple levels before it gets to the client is yeah. because it's, it's such a difficult thing to do and, and, and not. Uh, catch those mistakes yeah a lot of me wonders if that's just a byproduct of like remote workflow and all of us adjusting to doing shit remotely that might be it because you know normally maybe if we're working in the same place as the producer on like that project for example right actually she came and worked out out of the office one day like that day she would just walk over and watch the edit and then like that day we exported one version, I think. Yeah. Right? And, and that's the difference between multiple versions versus like one quick edit. You're not, yeah. you're not going from V19 to V20. That's yeah. all, that's all V19 because yeah. you're just making that real quick at, as they're watching back. Mm -hmm. Not to mention like if it's a 15 minute piece, right? Like the export times and that they add up, they're not like, they it's do. not like they're yeah. like, they're not crazy, but imagine working on something that's like 45 minutes long and then you export it and then they watch it. And then you're just like, oh, actually we're missing one lower third. You're like, cool. Let me re-export this 45 minute thing because of my dumbass mistake. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or, or a dumbass mistake. You know, it's it's. I'm just being hard on us as editors, but I always feel sheepish when we deliver something that gets, you know, crazy notes. Not I'm, crazy notes. Any notes? Yeah, I mean, I guess you can, in a way, you can chalk it up to. I don't want to call it laziness because that's not totally what it is. It's. It's just your brain kind of it plays tricks on you. Like mm -hmm. it, like you said, it, it makes it fills in the gaps. It it sees what you're trying to edit versus what is actually there. Yeah. 
It's like you got to tell the producer next time. Look, dude, I'm just too smart. My brain just is too smart. That's what's happening here. Why are we on version 25 of this? Because my brain is just too good. Yeah, man. It's why, filling in all the gaps. Why isn't your brain that smart? Can, already, can you just imagine the I, edit? I already know the story, man. I think the viewer will get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nah, I, it, real talk though. It, it's uh, that That is, uh, I don't even know how we got onto that from archetypes, but I mean, really music notes. You're talking about like, lower thirds and any sort of notes. For me, we're looking at these archetypes with the musician. Music notes are the ones that I used to, I used to really, really hate music notes. Anytime I know come back about music, I, I used to just get very mad fuming where I'd be like, man, like what the fuck, like blah, blah, blah. Now, when a music note comes back, I usually can like get it within like one or two, within one or two tries. I always can get what kind of music the piece needs. So I don't know if that's something I've just built up over time or whatever, but I music notes like rarely ever even get to me anymore. You know, they, they used to a lot, but now it's like, well, maybe I've just practiced it more. And like, I get to the point where the music is the thing I focus on the most. So I don't really get those notes that much. You know, I think it's not even getting notes on music that bothers me because typically I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good point. I'll just fix that. And, you know, even if I don't fix it the, the first time or the second time, eventually they just kind of let it go because they're, they're tire, tired of dealing with it. But for me, it's the notes that aren't about the music, but affect the music cut that they're, they're just not as fun for me. Because then I, I yeah. like, especially if you're on a 10 minute piece like that, where like a, a three or four second edit, you're kind of you're going through yep. a dozen songs and trying to make them match again the way that you had it before. And especially yeah. like if you're if you're really happy with one of the transitions and it, like you just can't make that like it throws the timing off. It just does. And you can't make the beat work the same way. It's just super frustrating because you're that, like, oh, well, what do I do now? That's a really good point, man. I, I always forget about that. I always speak about things from a perspective of like a 90 second or two and a half minute edit where I'm like, oh, I, I can afford to just focus on music for the whole thing yeah. for a 12 minute cut. That's actually like based around a story or an interview. You can't just do the music first. That's not realistic. I, you, you can't yeah. sit down and go, I'm going to do 12 minutes of music first, <laughs> then put the cut in. It doesn't work that way. You know what I'm saying? But maybe it should work that way. Maybe that, maybe we should focus on music more. I mean, knows? I don't know. I always focus on music and the new reel little plug, go to shishkinproductions.com. Check out our new reel and the new reel. I focus on music, sound effects, all that. That's that's my favorite thing to do. You know what I'm saying? Well, and that's the thing, you know, the music and the sound effects and stuff like that. Those are the details that really like they make a, a video shine like that attention to detail. Most people won't notice it, but people yeah. who are good at video will. And they'll be like, oh, man, that's dope. Well, and that's the thing, even in this article, this guy says right here, he says, as a former owner of a production company, this was the type of editor we most often look to hire because they put to, like putting together demo. He says they put together great demo reels, regardless of the quality of their source material. And that's almost, that's, uh, that's kind of the whole point. You know, yeah. I, I would say that's like what I like to do the most. You know what I mean? I could pull a bunch of fifties archive footage that doesn't look very good and probably make something out of it. You know what I mean? Cause, but how are you going to tell me, how are you going to tell me, Damien, that that is not storytelling. That's the problem I have with it. It's like, <laughs> how is that not storytelling, dog? Like, I am telling a story. That's the whole point. That's why it works. You know what I'm saying? But 
telling, oh, no. telling the story through sound. I don't know. You got to tell the story through sound sometimes. All right, let's take a quick break. Um, and when we come back, I don't really know what we're going to talk about. We have a plethora of topics. Um, it's probably not going to be related to this identity thing at all. There was an article that was about the 10 commandments of editing or something like that. But I don't know. It's a little... The religious overtones are a bit much for me. You know what I mean? Like, what am I? I, I, I'm not, I'm not a Christ figure, dude. I'm just, I'm just chopping away over here, bro. You got to dedicate your life to editing. You got to give yourself up to the non-linear editor, bro. I'm about to catch me out here just like bearing that arrow tool on on my back. What's up, guys? We're back. Um, Okay, we decided we're actually going to go for it. We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments of editing. I haven't read this article yet, Chris. I don't know if you have. Chris sent this over to me. I I've read it. I've read the commandments. You know, I I got the cliff notes. I didn't really read that in depth. Come on, thou shalt not steal other people's edits. No, that's not what it says. What if it literally was just the Ten Commandments, just like with edits attached to the end of it? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's edits. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. All right, let's get this rolling. Number one. Actually, let's let's give some credit to who this was. This is a guy called Zach Arnold. He wrote this for the frame.io blog. Uh, and he put this out in 2018. So things may have changed. Who knows? But let's let's see this, Chris. Number one, he says. This actually kind of ties into what we just talked about. He says, Thou shalt respect each editor's unique personality. I know. Okay. First of all, enough with the vows. Like, I'm not even gonna say thou. That's just the too much, too religious, too religious. Chill. What about the shouts? Shouts. No shouts. No, no shouts. vows. No shouts. Chill with all that. Like, you make me wanna shout. <laughs> you may, yo, that's fucking ridiculous. You gotta respect each other's you, each others. It's respect each editor's unique personality. Is what he's saying. He's saying that all editors are not created equal, and we're not machines with a single factory setting. I respect that, Zach. That's facts. Like I. I'm not a machine. Sometimes like I, I act like one and maybe I like I laugh like one, like Kawhi Leonard. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I uh, no. each editor does have a unique personality. I mean, we literally just spent the whole first half of the episode talking about that. Yeah. So so this is the commandment that actually led me to that article. So I don't think we really need to touch on it too much. Like it is great if you can if you're running a post house and you know what your editor's strengths are, if you can put them in positions to to you know, succeed, then that's great. And that's, I think kind of how we run things. Yeah. I think one thing that's also important is to recognize which kind of editor you are and then to try to balance out with the other parts of it and learn more and focus on the other shit. Cause if you just lean it too hard into one thing, you you know, you'll be good at it, but you probably won't grow. Yeah. You got to recognize your weaknesses and, and turn them into strengths if you can. All right. Number two, he says, understand that the creative process takes time. That's facts. I mean, my, my gut reaction to that one is, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, more clients should realize that. We yeah. Just- so so I, I wonder what, like who, who he's really speaking to here. Is it clients? Is it producers? Like who, who is he trying to talk to? Um, I would imagine that he's talking to, 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 to client, well, both clients and producers. He's definitely not talking to editors, but I, or, yeah, I think he's he's mostly talking to clients and producers. I mean, right here he he brings he brings up that um the classic, you know, fast cheap good pick two thing, right? Yeah. Um we just ran into that. We just ran into that last week. We had a client who 
hit us up on a on a Friday. This was on Labor Day weekend. They hit us up on a Friday. They go, hey, we have a meeting with uh, we, we have a meeting that we need this video ready for to try to pitch this thing. We uh, need it by Wednesday. And I was like, okay, well, Monday's a holiday. They were like, yeah, yeah. Um, so we just wanted like to have something to look at on Tuesday, and then we'll have the final thing for them on Wednesday. It's like, oh, guys, it's it's Friday. I mean, we're happy to work on the weekend, but it's going to be double. And they're like, no, 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 we don't want you working on a weekend or, or on the holiday. <laughs> but we, we need the first cut Tuesday. Yeah. It's like, it, okay, so you're telling me about this Friday at, at 4 p.m. and you want a cut on Tuesday, but you don't want me working Saturday, Sunday, or Monday? <laughs> How are we supposed to make that happen? You know what I mean? Which it's, it's that kind of stuff, right? It's like, you got to understand that it does take time. It's not just something that happens you know yeah we can give you something to look at after two hours of work it's not gonna look good though like it'll Mm -hmm. be fast and it'll be affordable but it's Mm -hmm. gonna be garbage yeah i the thing is we're or it's or it's gonna be fast and it's gonna be good but it's not gonna be affordable you know what i mean yeah yeah which i i think i mean i think that's that's more what they were getting at they were like well we don't want it we don't want monday because it's double price whatever i mean whatever look the point is i think that you know not enough producers really understand it and and i even have trouble with it sometimes because i've grown into the expectation that things can happen quickly because i've always worked pretty quickly so i i do try my best to to build in extra days for all of our calendars but but even then sometimes i'm like damn i built this calendar out as a quick ass calendar like it's not as much time as i thought it was yeah not much motivates quite like a like a deadline does you know you you always find ways to get things done even when you don't think you can when there's a deadline even if it means staying up all night like you find a way to do it yeah but the the thing is that can't be the long-term expectation like the client can't expect that every time that's yeah but also, it's not even that the client can't expect it every time. It's like you can't expect to put yourself through that shit yeah, that often. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't I've never had even a, the slightest interaction with the video game industry. But I, I've heard stories that that's what bogs the video game industry down so much is that like people literally work like 18 hour days back to back to back to back to get games out on deadline. It's like, why don't they just plan more time in between them? You know what I mean? Who the hell knows? I don't know the inner workings of game development, but. Well, I think as as a general rule, like you're going to get a similar amount of work out of a 60 hour work week that you do out of a 40, because after that 40 or, you know, whatever arbitrary number, mm-hmm. the, the, the returns diminish so much because people don't they don't have the energy to keep that up. Like they, they yeah. don't have the, the passion. Like at, at a certain point, they're just like trying to get through it and they'll take any shortcut they can right. because they're overworked. Yeah. And, and I think that that actually it all kind of leads into this next commandment that this dude writes. He said, uh, you have to be patient and understand that we'll get there. And and that's true. That thing is hard to say to some clients and producers, though, you know, because it's almost like I don't know. It's almost like you're telling them that by telling them that you're basically telling them that they're being impatient right now. Yeah. Which it's is a like, weird hey, thing. Chill, guys. We'll, yeah. we'll get there. Yeah. Like if you tell a client like, look, you need to relax, they're going to be like, excuse me. It's a, it's a little condescending. <laughs> it is a little condescending. I mean, it's true, but it's also like you can't you can't just say that. Yeah. I mean, the, he has a sentence here that he emphasizes. He says, just like writing, you have to write the bad draft before you're able to discover the great draft. Literally, that is editing. <laughs> yeah, we, we are editing. That's what <laughs> That's we're doing. Actually, the whole point. Right? We start somewhere and then we yeah. edit it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, 
number four, he says you shouldn't micromanage the process. And all of these are seem to go hand in hand with each other. You know what I mean? Because usually when clients are asking like, hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Hey, are we going to do this? Hey, are we going to get there? They're usually the ones who tend to micromanage. Yeah. One, there's one exception. There's one exception. Matt King, he hits me up all the time. A shout out. I don't think he really micromanages. I just think he has nothing better to do and loves to fucking talk, but which I do too. So, you know, shout out Matt King. You know, I, Matt King, when, when I've worked with him, I feel like he doesn't really micromanage. He, Never. he, he, he no, wants, no, he wants updates, but like, yep. he's, he's not managing. He you, wants ma- to be, micromanaging he you. wants to be aware. He wants to be in the loop. Yeah. But I, I agree with you. He, he does not micromanage. And I, I actually, for what it's worth, have since, you know, for the first two or three years of my career, I wasn't very good at it. But I've learned that skill. And at this point, I'm very, very good about telling producers to go away. Like when I have to, I mean, working out of the out of, out of our office, you know, obviously, and now with COVID, right? Like we're all remote, yeah. so it's easy. Yeah. But even back in the day when I would go to other places and work out of their offices, I was very good at telling the producer, hey, look, um, the way that I work is I need time to sit here and just work without you telling me what to do. And then come back. You should come back in like six hours and we'll see where we're at and we'll we'll reconvene. That's how that was a process that that's when I worked on Hot Ones. Like normally the old editor on Hot Ones uh, was a guy called Chris Murphy. He didn't edit that way. He would sit down with the producer and they would go shot by shot, line by line. Whenever I would come in to fill in, I'd be like, look, I work a little bit differently. Like, is can you just bounce for for? half the day, then come back and we'll check in and see where we're at, right? Because what you and I will sit there and do in 30 minutes, I'll do by myself in 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Having having someone look over your shoulder while you edit is probably one of the most annoying things as an editor. Like yep. that is just no fun at all. And yep. it's it's one of those things where I, I like direction. I, I I really like direction actually from a producer who knows what they want and I don't mind notes because it's what they want, but I don't want those live notes because I mean, it's it's difficult to keep track of because sometimes you'll just be playing it back for them and they'll say it, you know, they'll just say this note and then they'll be like, Oh, but keep playing it. And it's like, well, well, do I address this right now? Like, I just have to write this down and maybe you you see another note later mm-hmm. and that actually your second note changes what your first note is. Mm-hmm. Like, no, just wait and get them, condense them all and then yep. and, and consolidate them. Exactly. But I think the other part, too, is I it's easier to deal with that if you set expectations right. for the producer. And he does mention this in the article. He, he emphasizes two important questions. One, what are your expectations when this is done? And two, when, you, when would you like to see it? And I think those are extremely fair points for an editor to take to a producer. 100%, 100%. I, you know, what you said about those like live edit sessions, it reminds me. Um, for a while, um, I had a few jobs where I worked uh, with a company called Pop Sugar. And working with Pop Sugar, there was a producer there who always wanted to do what she called live edit sessions or oh something God. like that. I, I can't. And I would be like, um, okay, yeah. Then, it, uh, you know, shout out to Pop Sugar because they, that is a place where I like cut my teeth as an editor and I actually like learned how to edit pretty much. And I learned from like a lot of great people at that place. But um, there was one producer who she always wanted to do the live edit sessions, right? And I would be like, 
at first I'd be like, I don't, I, I can't say no, this is my boss, right? That's what yeah. I thought, cause I was yeah. a young kid. And so I go, okay, sounds good. And I would like notice that we're just like not getting as much done. And so after like being there for a few months, I finally was like, hey, look, like these aren't, these aren't the best way to do this. Like, I think what you need to do is watch it think about what you want to say, write it all down and put, put it like with time code. And then, then we can sit and you can explain it to me or you can email it to me or whatever, but you need to come into it with a plan because if, if we are both just sitting there and you're coming up with stuff out of your brain as you go, I can't keep up with that because I don't know what's going on in your brain. You know what I mean? I I do. And like for, for me, it's, it's also one of those things where you, you get off track kind of mm-hmm. like going bit by bit when you edit you kind of have to get into a certain mode and like yeah. it's it's almost like like being in in a factory what's uh, i don't know the term assembly line assembly line like you you want to have that attitude kind of when you're when you're building your edit like first you do the string outs then you do the selects and then and then you start the you know you address all the notes at once because it puts your brain in a certain mindset and to to go back for your brain to go back and forth in a live edit session like that is just it's less efficient yeah i agree i agree it's a lot and and you know again like well it's like what you said earlier um if you're you make a note and then like you know, 30 seconds later in the, in the piece, you see something and you're like, Oh, actually, can we put that back? <laughs> and you're like, God damn it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Know. I've had that happen so many times. It, it, it opens up the doors from almost miscommunication in a way, even though it's totally. like the most direct communication, yeah. it, it's just. And, and look, don't get it twisted. I love sitting with the producer and watching the cut. I just want them to come in with stuff prepared. I don't want the first time they see it to be when I'm playing it for them in premiere because that leads to problems. Like I need you to have seen this already and come in with notes. Yeah. And and I can live with like, we watch it back one time. We just watch it back. No one says a word. We just watch it back. They can make a couple notes and then we can watch it a second and a third time and and go step by step from there. That's fine. That's exactly it. Um, this guy says this, I keep calling him this guy. I gotta give him some credit, man. Who's the guy? Zach Arnold, Zach Arnold. He says in his fifth, uh, commandment, right? He says to understand that we report to multiple people. This one, I don't necessarily, I don't think it, I don't think it necessarily applies as much to what we do personally. And this was one that might have more, uh, have more importance as you go on to like bigger, longer form projects or something like that. Or if you work in really corporate environments, then it applies. I think for what we do, we tend to work one, one-to-one, one-on-one with producers or clients. And we always have like one person who we're really answering to who's our client, right? Like that's just how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Our workflows tend to be pretty consolidated. Like they, I think the producers that we work with might have to deal with that more reporting oh, yeah. to multiple people than we do. 100%. Like, I, I, th- I think we, we're on the good side of that. Yeah. I think for us, maybe. Yeah, you're right. We get the other end of that where when we have something, we can't assume their producer can just immediately jump in and answer our question. It's like, you know what? If you are wondering why this particular batch of footage is at a lower resolution, just skip that footage like ask the producer but if they're not responding right away like move on and do something else until they respond because they probably are 
in a meeting or putting out a fire of their own, you know? Yeah. And I think as an editor, sometimes you have to understand that the notes that the producer gives you, it, it might not be actually how the producer feels about the piece about the cut yeah. that you know that's coming from a client or or from one of their other bosses and right. they're just passing the message on to you yeah like the zoom thing the zoom thing that you were doing the client requested more product placement in this one scene we already had a lot we already had a decent amount but they were like we want more product placement yeah and it was like well all right i mean look that's the producer doesn't want it yeah. like we don't want it but that's coming from on high and they're the at the end of the day, they're the people who paid for the freaking thing to get done. Right? Exactly. So. We we like we all know that it's going to make the video look worse, but we yeah. also know that like we're getting paid by them to to deliver this Literally, for them. It's so our, it's our job, right? It, it's their video. You know, th- this is a good one right here. Number six. He says, uh, "Thou shalt." I, I went back and said, "Thou shalt." <laughs> thou, thou shalt maintain the position of collaborator, not boss. I love that. Because that that's how I like to um, even approach things within our post house, right? Like I'm like, if I'm asking an editor to help out on a project, I'm not telling them what to do. I'm like, you know, asking them to help. That's precisely what I'm doing, right? Yeah. Well, and for, for me, that's like part of, I mean, that's video as a whole. It's a the whole thing is a collaboration. And that's part of the reason that I wanted to get into video is because for me, it's it's kind of it's many different arts all involved with each other. Like it's it starts with with the director or whoever who has the idea. And then it goes to the cinematographer who's who's actually shooting it. It Mm -hmm. goes to the actors who are acting in it like they're all collaborating to be a part of this this project Mm -hmm. and you know down to the the musicians to the editors like everyone has a role yeah and you really got you have to respect everyone's talents and and try to work with their skills in a way that makes the product better right and and that goes even upwards too right that goes up to to not just like uh the talent and stuff like that but also goes up to the client and the people who who are requesting the video be made. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they may be what we like to consider our bosses or the people who for that particular project are in charge, but ultimately they are collaborators as well. Because like, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't even be working on it. And and a lot of the time, like they do, even if we think like, ah, they're not as committed to the craft as we are, they want to tell a story too. They're not just like, they don't want to just just sell their product. They want to tell a story too. But some of them, really actually believe in their product and do want it to take center stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, even if it is just about selling the product, sometimes maybe you're getting someone from marketing who has the analytics, who, who, who knows like what kind of story is going to hit, hit the best. Like you you have to respect that too. You respect the notes that come back because mm-hmm. maybe they're actually educated. Maybe it's yeah. not just some idiot who's like, Oh, I don't like the way this looks. Right. Maybe, maybe they, they are motivated. One thing that Zach says in this, he says, lead us, don't push us around. That I love because that's that's true. I've worked in environments where as an editor, it feels like you're getting pushed around. Those environments suck. They're toxic. And I've also worked in environments where you feel like you're being led. And those environments are cool because you're like, okay, awesome. I'm receiving direction. That's dope. I can I can take direction like that's good. Um, if I'm being like yelled at to do stuff and being like talked down to that that sucks because it makes me feel bad you know what i mean yeah he, he has he has an emphasis it, the sentence is the best idea wins no matter who it comes from and i think that's, that's true i mean that's an important 
sentence to to recognize no matter where you are in the process. Yeah. Um, moving on, number seven here. He says, don't play around with our cuts or touch our stuff. This one's interesting because I have had this happen to me in the past where I've uh, I was working uh, at a company and um, I went in, I would work from their uh, from their office and I would work on I was working on a piece. And one day uh, I remember I came in and I opened up my project and everything was like a little bit different. And there was like some stuff where I didn't put it and things were out of like they didn't look the same. And I was talking to the producer. I was like, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I definitely didn't didn't do this. And they were like, oh, yeah, after you left yesterday, I went in and I did some stuff. And I was like, that's insane. I was like, dude, like that's that's an invasion of like my my work, man. Like I was doing that stuff. Fine. If you want to go in, at least duplicate the project. Yeah. And like go do something. But they went right into my thing, messed with my stuff. And then, you know, I had to undo a lot of stuff that they did. And uh, granted, this it's an important thing to put on the list, but I don't think that happens that often. I've never had that happen. That yeah. would drive me insane. That's just so like it's one thing to hand off a project to someone else. And, you know, maybe you get it back a couple versions later. But like to for someone to just kind of go in and make edits and not say anything about it. And then you come in the next day like that. That's mm-hmm. so unprofessional. And like that, yeah. that can actually hurt the edit because maybe, maybe they did something that you don't know about and you don't catch. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, so, man, that, that's a bad workflow. It's a lot. Yeah. And again, like I said, it only happened that one time and it doesn't, it's not like it happens all the time or whatever. And I, I would argue that for most people, it doesn't happen, but it's, it's, it's good that he put it on there. Maybe it's not I mean, worthy of a, of a Ten Commandments slot. Maybe he's trying to speak in in, in a larger oh. sense, like in a like you know respect the respect how difficult it is to be an editor. Respect like our knowledge of the programs. Don't, yeah, I guess. Maybe I guess. I'm gonna go ahead and say Zach was running out of ideas. Well, we you know but, you know look we at are number, on seven eight. We're on yeah. seven, and he's still yeah. got three more to go. We'll see yeah. what he comes up with. At number eight, he said, "Thou shalt." I'm just going for it. Thou shalt accept that editors are not technical wizards. I love this one because if you are an editor, you most likely do know shit about computers, and you like know about the process and about production, but it's not fair to assume that everyone does know that. You know what I mean? Well, and I, I think part of this too, I think part of his point is that like sometimes, sometimes clients don't understand that when maybe audio is all recorded on one track and they're like, well, ju- just separate his voice from, from the other voice. It's like, no, that's where we're not magic. We can't, yeah. we can't change something that was recorded wrong. Like we can't yeah. just magically do that. Yeah. I, um, I, one thing that happened to me that was like that on a recent project was where, uh, I had a producer who was asking, um, why things looked washed out. They were like, I don't know the, does it look washed out to you? And I was like, I don't know. In premiere, it looks fine. And then I looked at the color that the color was sent over and it looked fine. And in premiere, it looked fine. And then I exported it and I played it back in QuickTime. And it did look washed out. And then I played it back in VLC and it looked fine. And I went and looked this up and I had to call a, call a colorist friend of mine to like figure this out. I was like, Frankie, help me, bro. I don't, I don't know what, why this is looking weird. It's just something about different TVs having different settings. Like you talked about earlier about Game of Thrones. It's about different TVs having different settings or different playback, like 
whatever different, different color gamuts like yeah and 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 that's what it was but i had no idea how to explain it to her i tried to explain it to her, to the producer because i was just like hey it was kind of embarrassing i was like i'm just as lost as you are <laughs> like i'm i don't i don't i'm not a colorist i don't know this i ended up sending them the uh the the forum uh the article the forum like link where people were talking about why it was doing that and they were they were like oh my god now i can't ever unsee this kind of stuff and i was yeah. like yeah this this is a problem that's i mean and that's why that kind of stuff is so difficult to me where it's it's like hey i'm sorry i don't understand this uh i'm gonna send you this link where no one else doing this understands it either there's like just yeah. a few professionals who really get it and it, yeah. it's difficult to explain yeah because you're yeah. like well why doesn't it just look right right and then the few professionals who can do it have like these like incredibly expensive monitors and all this equipment that even if they even when they do do it properly like we can play it on this projector we have in the office and it's going to look like crap because yep, our projector's yep. not balanced right you know what yep. i mean so um but that actually kind of leads into commandment nine here he says to accept that not everything can be fixed in post that to me even though that's a very true trope and it's great it's a it's a tired ass trope like i get it okay like yeah. I, I know the, the fixed in post joke is cool if someone tells me a we'll fix it in post joke when i'm on set or some shit i'm just like all right like, ha -ha, like yeah i get it why don't you just do it like, right the first time yeah but it's also just like it's just like a fucking bunk ass joke like that joke's been told like so many times like chill with the fix it and post shit it's not funny like it's not funny it's actually it's actually offensive straight up it's a little offensive it's a little bit offensive all right it's my post-production workflow stop like shitting on it to my face all right you know i'm not gonna make up for your mistakes i'm not gonna do it I'm not doing it. Yeah, I mean, when someone makes that joke, I mean, honestly, they're they're literally kind of saying, "Hey, yeah. I don't want to deal with this. You're gonna deal you with this. You fix my problem." Yeah. yeah, and you're like, "Uh, can you just not? Can we just not? How about you yeah. just do it? You know, well, let's I mean? make the whole production better because every production is gonna have some some issues and some flaws anyway. Mm -hmm. Like that's what the editor needs to be fixing in post. It shouldn't be yeah. a conscious decision while filming." to fix it in post. That's yeah. so dumb. That's like yeah. when you're fixing in post, it's something that needs to have been an oversight. It can't be a motivated decision that like, oh, well, we'll just make it better later. Yeah, make and, it right the first time. Right. And if the, I think if the, if the decision on set is to do something, to make a decision on set specifically for post, the editor should be there to kind of like yeah. guide that because they're going to be the ones who have to deal with it. Yeah. Or the director should have a very solid background in post where they can like make sure that it's captured in a way that makes it fixable quote you know what i mean exactly like makes it uh, something that you can actually do not like oh well what do you, like i've worked on i've worked on a couple projects like this where they're like yeah cool so we're just gonna shoot it on this thing and then you can key you can key them out oh my but god but then like the person's like the background they shoot it instead of shooting it like on a green screen or something like that they shoot it on a blue i had this happen on a project they shot it on a light blue paper backdrop but the model was wearing dark blue and then her arm would extend off of the paper sometimes so we had to like roto her roto a few it? times fill in that gap with a mat that matched the color of the paper and it, the light matched on it properly so i had to put a gradient across it and fade it to make sure like it all fit right but then the client comes back and is like that's not a brand approved shade of blue. What? <laughs> yeah. And so we had to tint the blue, but because we we're tinting the blue, it's also tinting her shirt and stuff because it's dark blue. Dude, oh it was such God. a mess. And I was just like, why are we dealing with this? That was the ultimate like fix it in post scenario. Cause you can't, we're not 
it would have probably made more sense to go reshoot it at that point, but yeah. we powered right through it. It was, man, I'll show you. They like, here's how many notes they had. They had so many notes that they sent back a deck to count Are you for the kidding? Notes. Oh no, my no, God. It was, it was bad. I'll show you the project after we get off. It's, it's ridiculous. Let's go on to number 10 here. It's the last one. He says, thou shalt accept that editing is our career and our passion, but it is not our life. And that is precisely why I stop answering emails at seven o'clock and I turn my phone on to do not disturb from from uh, 10 p.m. to, to 8.30 a.m. I'm just not dealing with it. You know, I I chose editing as a career because I liked it and I still do. Like it's something that I can come in and do every single day and, you know, be pretty happy about life. You know, like I I've had jobs in the past where I was not happy. This one, it it's it's good. Mm hmm. But I don't want to bring it home with me. Like that's how I feel. I, you know, I just want to come in and do my work and and take my eight to ten hours here very seriously, and then go home and not fucking think about it. Like yep. maybe I'll have some weekends where I'll I'll learn something and and I'll I'll make myself better. But ultimately, I don't want to I don't want to bring my projects home with me. I don't want to be working for a client yep. past seven o'clock. That's not fun. Exactly. Every so often. I'm I'm cool with doing like a day where it's like if I know that that next day that's scheduled is an easy day where maybe it's set up. Right. So I'll all I have to do doesn't happen as much these days because like running this shit, I I'm always torn in a million directions. But if I have a thing where it's like, hey, all I have to do today is set this project up, sync some stuff, pull selects and it's going to take me all day. Then I might bounce it over to a hard drive and go, hey, I'm going to work from home tomorrow. And yeah, that, way, yeah. that way that that way I can chill. But when the covid stuff started, it was all right to work from home. But then eventually I was just like, bro, I can't just be working from home all the time. That's why I was yeah. like excited to move into the bigger office where we're more socially distanced and get like back into the office. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and when you're working from home like that, it's it's probably a lot easier to just get sucked into a project and like not really create the same boundaries that you would for mm -hmm. yourself. Because, mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. you're, you're home all the time. You might as well. And you not, know. It, it not only makes it easier for you to get sucked in, it also makes it easier for the producer you're working with to get sucked in. And the yeah. next thing you know, everything, you know, it's just like, I don't know. You got to separate work and work at home. You got to do it. That I mean, that was a common phenomenon from from all all different industries when COVID started was everyone was who, who was still working, gainfully right. employed they were overworked because clients and bosses just assume, well, you're home anyway. Like you're yeah. already by yeah. your stuff. Why not just common, do it? Common phenomenon. Okay. It was a common phenomenon. Common phenomenon. <laughs> common phenomenon. Um, yo, everybody, thank you for listening to this. We had, we actually just talked about two articles today. It was a, a very low key episode. We're going to link to both of these articles in the show notes. So go check those out. Um, and whenever we do tweet this episode out, we'll probably tweet links to those. Um, we're not stealing content. We're not going to steal content, but we we're will, discussing it. We'll discuss it and address it. And, and low key, I mean, we name dropped these guys. And, yeah. and the second one is from the Frame.io blog. Shout out to the Frame.io blog. And uh, shout the Frame.io blog is amazing. Yeah. If you're if you're in post-production, follow it, please. Yeah. And shout out to Frame.io as well, because they I mean, they, they've been on the scene not like super long. I remember when they first started up. And uh, we first started using it and it was like, hmm, this could be interesting. And, you know, here we are. What is it? Five years down the line and they're still kicking. Maybe they've been around longer, but, you know, they're they're doing their job and, and they're making life a lot easier for us. I know Vimeo now has review tools. A lot of places have review tools now, but Frame.io, I think, 
helps really push push the ball in that direction. It's great for workflow. It's great for for learning small, like real real tricks of the trade, like you know the kind of kind of information that only real professionals know. It's great for that. Yeah, um, and even in general, the whole program was good for getting producers to leave time coded notes. Yeah. Like, we, were, we were like, we will make this so easy for you. Just literally log on and type comments. It's like YouTube. It's like you're watching YouTube. Just type a fucking comment, please. Don't get on a call with me for an hour to ask if I think this music might be better. Just tell me what to fucking do, please. Uh. You know? Um, all right, guys. Uh, thank you for listening. If you want to keep up with us, um, I'm going to go ahead and assume we're not going to we're not doing much on social media. But if you want to keep up with us, it's at Sizzle Real Gang in a lot of places. Twitter. Let's shout out that TikTok. Shout out TikTok. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Sizzle Real Gang on Twitter and Instagram. And we might have a TikTok, but there is a Shishkin Productions TikTok page. And that one, if you are trying to learn some stuff, um, we're going to be posting a lot of like little easy edit tips and maybe some other stuff. Nothing Nothing too crazy, just stuff like how to make an easy border in Premiere or like quick tips, quick tips. Yeah. Like how to use the denoiser to make your audio sound better, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, Chris, you, you got any knowledge to drop on everyone before we sign off for today? No, nah, man. I, I think I think we you really we discussed some. You stuff. don't have any knowledge to drop. You must have dropped all of it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> How much knowledge do you think I got Chris in here? Chris been dropping his damn knowledge everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's a mess in here. There's knowledge all over the place. Oh my god, so much knowledge! All right, everybody, we'll see you next time. Don't step in it.